Well, good morning, guys, and uh, it's just always a privilege to share God's Word. Before I do that, though, a little, something a little bit special. We're trying something out today, and that, uh, you, you know, we have Mother's Day and Father's Day and Secretary Day and Pastor's Days, and uh, yeah, that's, I don't know where that is coming up very soon. Um, Today we're going to have a, we're just talking amongst the staff and we just thought we'd have a children's workers day and, and uh, you know we have over a hundred volunteers, some of you are sat here, but we have an outstanding children's ministry under the leadership of, of Claire Wilson who's got a day off today, bless her heart, but we want to just honour the uh, children's workers, so, so why don't, if, if you are part of the, the rotated team, why don't you just stand up where you are now, I mean you've got a Sunday off obviously, but just stand up where you are, let's give these guys a big round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. But also, listen, parents, we've got something a little special. When you go out of the doors, up on the balcony and out through the center doors there, there's going to be a, a steward and a helper with a basket full of chocolate eggs. Now, these are not for you. These are not for your children. These are for you to take a little chocolate gift and give it to your children's, one of your children's workers in, in, in their class when you collect the child. And just say, thank you. I really appreciate. We really appreciate what you do for us. So make them feel a little bit special. Okay, so chocolate eggs there. And uh, not for yourself, not for your kids, but for the children's workers on the way out. Now, have we got one or two kids in here? I, I'm going to make an exception. Chocolate egg for you, matey. There you go. Any other little kids? What about? I'm over this side. There's, there's a young gentleman doing, playing with his Game Boy. I'm about to speak, mate, you know. <laughs> Flipping heck. And that's the dad, you know. <laughs> right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you again. We're just, Lord, this is a season of gratitude. You've opened our eyes. You are beginning to open our eyes to your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, we are enjoying a season of your favor. And Lord, we appreciate you and all you're doing in us and through us. And now, Father, I pray that as I take my turn to share your word this morning, it may be just that. May it be your word and may it, it do everything you intend for it. May it set captives free because your word says the truth will set us free and we ask it all in Jesus name amen believe it or not next week we start our, our, Chris, uh, our Easter run up and um, this is uh, the other bookend Dennis introduced the subject last week of, of how wise people gain wealth is that it make wealth some, build well, thank you. And I'm doing the other bookend, which is, which is entitled how, how to Prosper in Uncertain Times. And uh, you may not be feeling very wealthy. You may be wondering how you're going to get through. And we're going to look at that this morning and, and, and try and sort of unpack some biblical principles here. Much of it is common sense, but you know, a lot of common sense is based on biblical principles. That's the amazing thing. But we're going to look at that this morning, and my prayer is that, the, that you'll not end up in, in condemnation, you know, going away feeling rubbish. Oh, yeah, well, I knew I was rubbish, and now, you know, pastor says that I'm rubbish, so that's it. It's official. 
It's not that kind of a deal. But there may be things that, that, that actually do unsettle you, things that tickle you, things that disturb you, things that excite you. There may be things that will just sort of galvanize you to come out of denial and to set a new course for the rest of your life. It's as important as that. This issue of, of prosperity, uh, uh, this issue of, of how, how we, we weather and prosper in uncertain times is of general interest. And so that's where we're going this morning. And I want to start with a promise of Jesus. Thank you. Uh, and that little promise is this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to its full. And one of the things I've noticed about biblical teaching is that often when people hear it for the first time, they go, uh, that doesn't sound very good. I'm not sure if I like the sound of that. Oh, yeah, that doesn't sound, it, it doesn't sound great. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But I've noticed it, it can have that dynamic where people think, oh, I'm not sure whether I really trust this. But believe me, please, give me the benefit of the doubt on this. And that is this, that God's intentions towards you are good. God's intentions towards you are good. Say this with me. God's intentions towards me are good. One, two, three. God's intentions towards me are good. He wants you to know life, and life is all its fullness. What the world promises, and all its razzle-dazzle only leads to confusion, disappointment, and disillusionment. So it may not sound quite what you are hoping to hear this morning. It may be, but it may not. But please, you know, put, put that thought in the very forefront of your mind that God's intentions towards me are good. One, one of these kind of questions, you know, how to prosper in uncertain times, you know, it, it begs the question really, you know, what do we mean by prosperity? You know, one man's prosperity is, is, is another man's, uh, you know, curse. You know, I, I remember when Fliss and I were up in, the, uh, in, in Leeds in our very first parish before I was ordained. We spent two or three years. I was an industrial, a lay industrial chaplain in the uh, mid-70s. And uh, we were in this inner city church. And there was a chap there called Brian Ellis. And he was an Oxford graduate, a very, very highly educated man. He... Uh, he, he actually uh, edited a, a, a real a premier theological journal, and yet he lived out his life, and he'd been there for 18 years, and was still, the clock was still running when we joined the church. He'd lived out his life in Bermontoffs in Leeds, in the Lee of St. James's Hospital. Some of you will know that from Jimmy Savile days. He used to push trolleys around there and things like that, a little bit of trivia, you know. And anyway... When I first met Brian, and I was really wet behind the ears, and I was really just coming out of my, my, my kind of life of business and all the rest, of it, I went to meet him because he was part of the chain of command when it came to selecting pastors. And I was absolutely appalled by Bermontoffs. It was not Ripon where I lived. It was back-to-backs. There were derelict houses. It, it, it was as run down as, as I had ever seen up until that point. And in the middle of it all was this soot black old Victorian church with a, a kind of a, a 50s vicarage stuffed on the side of it. And, and, and I remember meeting Brian, and as part of my small talk, I'm much better at it now, I have to hasten to add, than I was then. But as part of my small talk, I said to him, How do you live here? 
Well, that went down a bunch, I can tell you. How to win friends and not influence people. Anyway, the Lord had the last laugh because he called us into that area and God really ministered to us, really about, and you've heard me say this before, about the whole issue of community, building community, and how community will flourish in the most unlikely of places where there is love. And I'm telling you this story because I remember Brian Ellis and his wife, they had very little money, and he was just about to go on holiday. They were going camping in, in Somerset or something. Every year they went camping in Somerset. And I had some little message, some little thing I had to sort of take round to him. And I went, went round on the evening just before they were going to leave early the following morning to go camping. It was a lovely sunny evening. And I knocked on the door and his wife Barbara answered the door and said, oh yes, he's out, he's out, out the back in the garden. And I went out into the garden. Here we are in this terrible area. And he sat in his shorts. His knees were like celery white, I tell you. I can see them sparkling in the sun now. I'd never seen him in shorts because he was a very formal vicar, but he was in his shorts. He was in his mufti, as he would call it. And he was sat in the garden, bathed in sunlight, with a glass of beer, with the biggest of grins on his face. He was just sort of closed, enjoying. And I thought, this is a man who knows what contentment is. This is a man who knows how to prosper. You see, for Brian Ellis, that was a foretaste of heaven, sitting in the backyard of a vicarage in Bermontoff's, overlooked by high-rise flats, yes, catching a bit of sun with a glass of beer, dressed in his mufti, about to go on holiday camping in Somerset. And I thought, flip I've had, I've had, I'm 24 years old, I've had houses in the country which I've owned scot-free, I've had jewellery business, I've, I've had three cars at a time, and this man knows more about prosperity than I do. It stuck with me, how to prosper in uncertain times. In fact, the Bible picks up this kind of imagery from the golden age of the Old Testament, and uh, 1 Kings 4.25 says this, during Solomon's lifetime, and if you know anything about the Bible at all, you will know that the reigns of David and, and his son Solomon were considered as, as the benchmark, the golden age. But there's this little comment here. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. There's Brian Ellis back there in ancient Israel. It's a state of mind. It's, 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 a, it's about where we are in, in our place in creation as God's sons and daughters. Of course, our society, our Western society, has made it something else. Our Western society has, has made prosperity look like the number of goods we have, the number of toys we have, and, and the choices we're able to exercise. We, we don't measure it in terms of happiness. Nobody talks about happiness anymore. Nobody talks about contentment. We talk about possession. We talk about you know, what we are able to do. We talk about where we are hoping to go or where we have been, but not about where we are, that place now. So this, this word prosperity has, has been twisted. It's been distorted. And things that are absolutely crazy, when you take half a step back, we begin to as aspire to. 
There's a movie that's on at the cinema just at the moment. I've not seen it. My daughter's seen it, and she says it's, it's not very good, so I wouldn't recommend it. But the trailer caught my imagination. We're just going to run this trailer now. It's called Confessions of a Shopaholic, and in it, a young woman who has a shopping addiction <laughs> blags her way, blags her way, into a high-flying sort of New York job just so that she can fuel this shopping addiction. Thank you. Do you know, I don't know whether I want to see the film. We probably saw it all in that. But to be honest with you, the reason it's successful is that people can, we can identify with that kind of compulsion, that kind of excess, that kind of, that, those kind of values. But you know, something is changing. It's I believe, and maybe the church is going to lead the way in this, that, that there's a new fashion statement, and it's this. Thank you. Frugality is the new black. <laughs> now, if you know anything about fashion, black is the definitive color, and every season they say crazy things like, well, green is the new black, darling. Well, frugality is the new black. And do you know, I, I was fascinated by that. Thank you. One, one, two, three. I was fascinated by uh, Dennis's little talk about Warren Beatty, the second most wealthy man in the, in the world. Is that right? And, and the way he lived his life, how he lived in the same house for 31 years, how he drove a regular car from the lot he took. He just, he, he, he uh, you know, wore suits off, off the shelf, not, not $5,000 expensive tailor-made ones, just because he could. And he's just given the biggest gift to charity in history. How much was it, Dennis? 83% of his wealth, and his wealth is estimated $85 billion. I mean, that is amazing. There is a man who's not going with the crowd. There is a man who is not subject to peer pressure or this ugly thing that gets us into so much trouble, status. I want to tell you a story from the other side of the tracks. I was just amazed when I heard about this. A lady, lady called Osceola McCarty, Osceola McCarty, a washerwoman from Mississippi, gave $150,000 to the, the University of Southern Mississippi. And, and this caused quite a stir. Just a washerwoman. All her life a washerwoman. She was born in 1908. She died about three or four years ago. And she made this gift shortly before she died. Uh, she only had a, a sixth grade education because around about that time there was a family tragedy and she had to come out of school and help her mother. Uh, and there were two or three things that we need to just note that we might learn from in, in Osceola McCarty's story. First of all, she had a mother who believed in working hard and saving hard. Do you know, folks, time and time again, educationalists will tell you that is what we model at home that our kids will pick up. Yeah, yeah, speak to them, talk to them, teach them. But it's what we model that they will pick up. You know, what are we modeling to our children? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of concern about the, 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 the bailouts that are abroad at the moment and they've already been made. And, and there are those who are saying that our children, maybe even our children's children, will be paying off the debt that we are committing to at this stage. But actually, quite apart from those things, which we may or may not have any influence in, what about the home? What are we modeling to our parents? Are we modeling that, that industrious, 
heart to, to, to work and to earn and then to save? I, I hope so. I hope my kids, I'm not sure they have, but I hope my kids have seen something of that. And anyway, this, this woman, you know, she, she, she lived in the same house all her life. Uh, when her, her uncle actually owned the house. When her uncle died, uh, she stayed in that house. And, and the, the little inheritance that she got, she saved that as well. Uh, and she would just keep taking it off down to the local bank. No high-fying sort of deals here. She just went down to the local community bank and, and banked it. And then after many years, one of the bank managers called her to one side and said, you know, um, Mrs. McCarty, this, this is becoming quite a sizable sum. Maybe we can do something with that for you. And so she trusted this bank and they started to do whatever that was. I'd like to know, actually. And then she said, she said to the interview, she said, it became almost frightening the money began to grow exponentially. And what I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was, was just save some money. And I suddenly thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to give some poor kid the break that I never had? And so she made this gift of pretty well everything she'd acquired. $150,000 to the University of South Minnesota, Mississippi. An extraordinary story. Her one passion was her local church, and she did, when pressed, turn out to have a bit of a thing about cake. But only when the ladies from the, the, the women's circle came round. Her one indulgence. Frugality is the new black. It, it, it's becoming a, a, a word in season. We're all of us having to make cutbacks and, and savings here and there. You know, I, my prayer is this for Fliss and myself. In fact, we were talking about it driving in, that this becomes more of a lifestyle for us, not just a way of you know, funding the next holiday or something, but more of a lifestyle. John Wesley used to say, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. There's a principle here. Proverbs 21.20 says this, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Our society for the last few years says, not just spend all you get, you get but, but go into debt to spend more. And there it is, that, that ugly word, debt. That thing that we know actually so much about. Something that we are, so many of us, familiar with. I, I am saddened by the number of 20-somethings that have come to me over the years, over recent years. And they, they can't get the job that they thought that they had been promised. But they've come out of uni with 20,000 plus debt. They're beginning their working life. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. They're beginning their working life, unable to get the job that seemed to have been held out to them over the years. And what's more, in £20,000 worth of debt and more. You know, this, this business of debt, as you're hearing, as I am hearing, almost to the point of ad nauseum, is something that is, is beginning to terrify. George Fielding said... You know, master money or it'll master you. And if, if money is the master, well, debt is its sleazy girlfriend. And so we're going to just spend the last 20 minutes of this talk just rattling through seven biblical but common sense 
ways to get yourself out of debt. Seven steps to get out of debt. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry it's a seven-step thing. I mean, we're a bit bored with steps. But, but you know, there are some, there's some good stuff here. So pin your ears back. Needless to say, and we keep plugging this, we have a wonderful ministry in this church called Money Management. We're actually running a course. that The Money Management guys are running the, the course at Essential. There's just one week of that to go. But this is not a, a, a one-off thing. We've been running it for a number of years now. It is something that, it is, that is available 52 weeks of the year. If you're struggling with debt and, and this talk triggers a resolve in you, and please God, may it, to start digging your way out of debt, well then do talk to them because they can help you, they can help, they can set budgets, um, they can do, uh, they, they've actually been to court with some of our clients and, uh, and got uh, spoken on their behalf and, and a number of things can happen. So straight up, there is help for you if this is, talk is already making your stomach sink. So the first thing is to come out, come out. And this is a little bit of scripture, and I'm possibly taking a bit of a liability with it, but you'll see why in just a minute. This is about Jesus when he's raising a guy called Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus said this, he said, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is one of the most astounding miracles of Jesus' ministry. It actually triggered the reaction that ended up with him going to the cross. Now this carpenter kid was raising the dead. Enough was enough. He's got to go. But the reason I put it in here is that Jesus issues a command. His command over us, his word over us, is that we might know life. Remember, we used it, said it before, and, and know it in all its abundance. Jesus wants to say to us, come out. He wants to speak to you this morning, come out of that, from under that demon debt, that shadow, that long, long shadow, come out. But you know, Lazarus will have heard that voice in the gloom. And he will have made a decision to, to struggle to his feet, encumbered though he was by these, these grave clothes. It wasn't easy for him to come out. He'd been wrapped as a mummy almost. He would have struggled to his feet and struggled into the light. It was a struggle. He had to make the struggle. And some of us have got to say, enough, I'm not going to serve this demon debt anymore. I'm going to come out. I'm going to struggle towards the light. And as he did that, as he appeared in the mouth of the cave, so Jesus said to others, go and help him. You can't do this on your own. You need help. So the first thing to do is to come out of denial. Oh yeah, well it'll be fine. I don't know. I don't know. Don't pester me. It's going to be all right. Just trust me. If you're saying stuff like that, you've just got to wake up and come out of denial. It's not going to fix itself. It's time to come out. Secondly, and and Den mentioned this last week, and I would just say amen to this, because I've done this for nearly 30 odd years, and it works. Honor God with your finances. If you're crying out to God about your finances, if it's a matter of prayer for you, and you're, you're invoking his blessing. You say, oh God, help me. We've got to start doing things. We've got to start, you know, doing things his way. And honoring God with our finances. Uh, the, the first 10% that Dennis mentioned. This is something we've taught once or twice a year for as long as there's been a church here called Vineyard. 
Proverbs 15, 16 says this, better a little money, better a little money with a blessing, with the blessing of God than great wealth with turmoil. Some of you know how much turmoil is involved in just keeping up with the neighbors, just keeping up appearances, juggling those credit card debts, juggling your finances, sucking your teeth yet again when you get a statement from the bank to discover that last month's salary barely covered the, you know, the, the basics, let alone anything else. We've got to start trusting God and making provision and honoring him with our finances. And he will begin to bless us as we do so. The third thing is, is save yourself. I love what Dennis said. I love that little story about Eileen saving a few pounds here and there so that when the kids hit 18, uh, you know, they, there was something for them. And I love, you know, you, sometimes, you know, when, when the budget's really tight and Fliss have had, and myself have had years of that, you know, it's hard to save. But I remember seeing a, a great Steve Martin film that really made me laugh out loud, a, a film called... Um, Parent, not parenthood, what was it called? The Father of the Bride. Anybody seen that movie? Yeah, well, many of you have. Well, I saw that movie the first time around, and it made me roar. I loved it, and it made me weep because I could really identify. I've got three daughters. Whew. Boy, did it make me weep, but it made me very thoughtful afterwards because I thought, heck, these daughters are, are going to get married. And then I thought, maybe I could sort of buy them an aluminium ladder and 50 quid and point them in the direction of Gretna Green or something like that, you know. <laughs> I thought probably they wouldn't want to do that, you know. And so I started, first and I started saving. We, we, we saved, I think, 20 pounds a month from that day on. Just in a little, little savings account. And that was the wedding fund. And when our first daughter came up to be married, we, we, we had about, I think, 2,600. And do you know how much that wedding cost us? All of you are planning for weddings and praise God, I know many of you are. Cost us about 2750 You can do it. You don't have to spend 10000 as the bride magazines will, will encourage you to believe. You can do it. You can do it. You really can do it. So, you know, just saving a few pounds, even though you're, it's tough, you know, it, it does, as Dennis said, it mounts up, doesn't it, Dan? You know, the first 10%, if you like, is for yourself. The second 10 is for God. The second 10% is for you, for yourself. And then the 80% is for everything else. I love it. 10, 10, 80. Was that it, Dan? 10, 10, 80. Thank you. So the third point then is save yourself. Play on words. Save for yourself. Fourth thing, set up a budget. Jesus spoke about this. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if there is enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow started to build and was not able to finish. You know, sit down, count the cost, look at your budget, look at your income, look at what you own, what you owe, and what you earn. Sit down and do it. One of the lovely things that, that immediately happened when Fliss and I, without any teaching like this, decided to start tithing, giving 10% to God nearly 30 years ago, was that we had to sit down and work out exactly what we were earning. And that we had never done that. We just kind of spent. Earned, spent. Earned, spent. Earned, spent. 
But when we started saying, well, we, we, we've got to give, we want to give God our, te- our temper's hand. You know. so, so what is it? Well, how much do we earn? And we sat down, and that was actually a, an unexpected byproduct of us beginning to honor God with our finances. We started to work to a very simple budget. It's scary how many people go through life, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, it's scary how many of us go through life without a budget. We really actually don't know how good or how bad it is. Man. Take a word out of, a leaf out of Jesus' book. Sit down and work it out. At least you'll know where you are then. You'll know whether to cry for help or give help. The next little point here. Have a clear out. Boy, this is something close to my heart at the moment. Fliss and I are in a little situation just at the moment. We have a, 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 a grandson about to be born six weeks hence in, in America. And we've been, as we always do, budgeting to go uh, out to the States and saving to do that so we can visit our family. And of course, we're very excited about going this time. Well, anyway, my, my, my daughter out there, it's her first baby, and she's kind of really missing home, and she's really missing Fliss and all the rest of it. And So we've actually decided this time, with a little bit of arm twisting, I might add, uh, from my dear wife, we've decided this time to go out for just over three weeks so that we can, so Fliss can be with Jesse as she gives birth and then be there for a couple of weeks afterwards. Now, we had budgeted for a two-week vacation, not three-and-a-half-week vacation. So, so we're having to save money. We're really paring back to the bone to, to save. We only did this, decided to do this about three weeks ago. So we're looking for savings all over the place. And, and uh, Fliss is taking great glee in pointing out the things that I waste money on, which <laughs> seems to give her great pleasure. And I can't find a single thing that she wastes money on. But anyway, never mind, I'm working on it. But, you know, Dennis last week extolled the, the benefits of eBay. And I think the week before I extolled the benefits of Aldi. Well, I want to come on the back of eBay and talk about not eBay buying, but that's a good way of saving money if you, if you have got to buy something. But eBay selling. Do you know we have 25 items for sale on eBay at the moment? And if anyone's interested, I'll give you the link. But, you know, it's extraordinary what people will buy. I'm clearing out my workshop and I've got 50 foot of rubber hose. 50 foot of rubber hose. Roll up, roll up, roll up. So I put it on eBay and thought, well, you know, if I get a couple of quid. Do you know, I have had about 40 or 50 people visit the site. I've got uh, currently 18 watches. Now, a watcher, for those of you who are, um, don't know what eBay is, you can click to watch. If there's an item you're interested in, you can click to watch it. And most people watch it because what they want to do, and this is a very sneaky tip, they whack their bid in at the very last minute... And you can sometimes get a better price. So I've got, I've got 18 watches, something like that. And I'm answering blooming questions about rubber hose. <laughs> Kevin from Wiltshire is the bane of my life. <laughs> oh, hello, Chris. This uh, rubber hose you have, I Um I wonder what diameter the rubber hose is. <laughs> and I'm thinking, it's rubber hose. And I want to say, Kevin, get a life. <laughs> but what am I doing? I'm out in the shed in the dark with a torch measuring the diameter of rubber hose. 
Dear Kevin, thank you for your inquiry about the diameter of my rubber hose. It is 15 millimetres, or five-eighths of an inch, if you're still measuring by steam. (laughs) Dear Chris, thank you for your prompt reply. Could you tell me what is the bore of the said rubber hose? Oh, flippy. I'm not joking. There's a feeding frenzy out there for rubber hose. You know, a few quid here, a few quid there. I, I, I don't know. We're, we're hoping, Fliss and I, we're working hard. We're, we're saving hard so that we've got, we can take up the slack of that extra week or so in California when my daughter has a baby. You know, do a stock take. Have a clear out. There's loads of stuff that you've got that you could sell. Make some money. Pay off a credit card debt. How good would that feel? How good would that feel? Next little point. Add no new debt. Oh, it is still frighteningly easy to add new debt. You know, when you get that junk mail coming on through the letterbox, you know, 0% interest for seven months, 2%, uh, you know, transfer fee. Just tear it up, take it straight from the front door, carry it with a little ceremony, press that pedal bin lever and drop it in. Don't go there. Don't add any more debts. You know, don't be tempted to, 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 to... Buy something on HP or something like that. Steer clear of that. Just concentrate on clearing what you've got off and then stay clear of it. I've told the story many a time when, when years ago, Fliss and I were left at a, a, a 700 pounds, I think it was, just as our television blew up and video recorders were coming in. I don't know, probably a lot of you don't know what a video recorder is these days, but anyway... But video recorders were just coming in. and So we decided to spend this £700 on a new television and a video recorder. And so we went into Leeds, into Dixon's. And the nice young lady there, when she realized that we were going to pay in cash, she said, listen, why why don't you just put your cash in the building society? Because we've got this fabulous 0% interest thing going at the moment. You know, you can can pay off 0% interest... Pay it with the money in the savings account, if you like, on a monthly basis. But you'll be earning interest. It'll become even cheaper. Well, at the time, it seemed like a good idea. So we put the money in the building society. We signed on the dotted line. You know, two and a half minutes and one signature and a flash of my my, uh, license, driving license. And we were walking out the shop with £700 worth of Sony equipment. And guess what happened? We spent the money in the building society. That went within six weeks. Other things cropped up, washing machines, car repairs, you know it, you know life, you do life, I do life. And we were saddled then with a £700 HP thing on a curate salary. It was a kill to pay off. It was a kill. Interest free or no, it was a kill. Don't add any new debt. Don't add any new debt. Make a resolve this morning. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to solve these problems just by taking on new debt. And finally, stick to it. Stick to it. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. We do not give up. Do not become weary in this. It will take time. It will not happen overnight. 
But the sooner you start, the sooner you'll be free. The sooner you, you make that decision to come out of denial, the sooner you'll be free of it. Because Jesus said this, John chapter 8. He said, thank you. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. See, Jesus has come to give us life. Life in all its fullness. For him, prosperity looks like freedom. Freedom from debt. Probably the biggest ogre that is striding through our land at this time. Jesus comes to you. He calls your name. He says, come out. Let's try it my way now. Let's struggle together with this. Let's seek help. It's not going to be easy. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. But do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. Because his vision for you is freedom. Freedom from debt. Freedom from whatever other addictions plague you. And if that ain't good news, I don't know what is. Let's have the worship team up and let's pray. Let's all stand.